0: Hello and welcome to Conversations in Cleantech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by BrightSmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and in this sixth season, we delve deeper into the world of cleantech startups and their founders, from inspiring stories and words of wisdom to the toughest challenges. You can expect to learn about how these pioneering startups and the founders at their helm are propelling us towards a cleaner, greener tomorrow. In addition, they'll be offering you timeless teachings to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone, everywhere to live their purpose.
1: So we are really pleased to be hosting um, Kobe. Kobe actually is the uh, founder and CEO of Autofleet, um, a um, scale-up organization that are changing the landscape of fleet optimization. Kobe is a, a first-time CEO and worked his way up through the ranks as a, from the product standpoint. So we are uh, really grateful to have him here and understand that he's gonna have a lot of insights to share on the journey of a first-time CEO. Kobe, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: My pleasure. So um, obviously, I didn't want to do it. Um, uh, I wanted to wanted to make sure we did did the Auto Fleet justice. So can you maybe kick off by telling us a bit about Auto Fleet's mission and and how it aims to address climate change?
2: So Auto Fleet, uh, we founded five and a half years ago with a very exclusive focus on fleets and mobility operators. So our customers are the likes of rental car companies, car sharing operators, taxi, delivering logistics, really anything from a scooter to a car to a truck. And the reason why we. Focus on fleets is because the transportation industry as a whole uh, is kind of going through a transformation, and that is mostly from privately owned vehicles to the consumption of mobility services, especially in large cities in urban areas. Therefore, the role of fleets and mobility operators as a whole is kind of becoming increasingly important in the value chain of mobility, and also for good reasons. I mean, a privately owned vehicle, the average utilization is probably about three to five percent. It's usually the second most expensive thing that people spend money on after maybe buying a house or an apartment. A uh, very unutilized, depreciating asset pollutes most of the times, takes out of space, but still kind of a necessary evil uh, at the time being. But that's kind of the general trend. And that's really kind of the core reason why everything that Autofleet does is, is focused on fleets and mobility operators. We provide three core solutions to our partner fleets, um, starting from a simulator, which is a fleet planning tool. It allows us to answer different kinds of business questions for our partner fleets that otherwise would take a long time and money to test in real life. A big part of that in the last year, year and a half, which you can definitely expand on is fleet electrification um, That's kind of its own domain that we found the simulator to be specifically important in. The second solution is about optimizing the uh, fleet operations, all the fleet management stuff, like servicing and cleaning and rebalancing and charging of EVs when and where. Basically orchestrating all those tasks with the angle of reducing downtime and maximizing utilization revenues. And finally, the third solution is uh, really about enabling our partner fleets to launch new ride-based services. When we talk about rides, we kind of split the world into two. One is around delivering logistics, moving packages, and the other is more about passenger-based services, moving people. So anything from traditional taxi companies that have been around for decades and want to become more competitive or optimized overall, to ride-hailing use cases, and even autonomous shuttles in some cases. So quite a variety of use cases that we enable using this solution. Overall, as a company, um, like I said, we founded the company five and a half years ago. We have activity now in about uh, almost 20 countries across Asia, Europe, and North America, across a variety of different verticals. Uh, we're based out of Tel Aviv in Israel. That's where our headquarters is. We have a team in the U.S. and in Singapore. And that's uh, us in a nutshell.
0: And just thinking about kind of the, the inspiration behind not just Autocreet, but, but why was it that you decided that you wanted to be in the climate tech space and was there a specific event? Was there a kind of build up in terms of your life? You know, how did you decide I'm going to tackle the climate crisis and I'm going
2: to do it through transport? So I think it comes—it's kind of a combination of two things. One, in general, I my background is in uh, in software development. That's how I started my career. And so I always come kind of approach the industries that I work on uh, from a tech standpoint and kind of how does. How can technology be applied to even some of these very traditional segments to increase efficiency, to optimize, uh, to create things, to make things more sustainable? So that's one mm-hmm. vector that has been part of my career. Or so in general, the second is uh, both myself and my co-founder Dor, who's the CTO of Dorfleet. We both came from a company called Get. Uh, which is in the ride-hailing industry, primarily uh, in Europe, and um, we kind of had a first uh, kind of first-row seat uh, to the mobility industry overall and kind of the trends that were happening. And what we saw was that um, at the time, um, the ride-hailing industry overall was growing very fast in terms of number of rides across the industry. So companies like Uber and Lyft, Ola and uh, Grab, and other big ride-hailing companies in their own regions. But while the, the business overall and the industry overall was growing, there was no economies of scale. Right? these are asset-light companies. Right, they don't own the vehicles nor do they hire the drivers. And so despite the high rate of growth in terms of the number of rides, the cost per ride stays pretty much the same. Every driver is an independent entity that's paying the same amount for fuel, for depreciation, for maintenance, and so on. And there was no clear path to profitability or any kind of sustainability overall both business or otherwise. But at the same time, the, these kind of new mobility services, such as ride dealing, have created an amazing consumer product that people love. It increases accessibility in cities. So we were trying to think like what needs to change in the industry overall kind of at a macro level for new mobility services such as that to become sustainable. And we kind of shifted our focus to the asset heavy fleets. And the biggest fleets on the planet are the rental car companies, the leasing companies, and they do have economies of scale. That's what they know how to do best. They know how to own and maintain vehicles at the lowest cost. They have buybacks, deals with the OEMs, real estate in prime locations. That's really kind of their core business. And so we believe that they really have an important role in the value chain uh, to serve new mobility services in partnership with uh, some of those new uh, either ride-hailing companies or otherwise, but each kind of playing their own role. And that's kind of where we fit in. That's kind of what led us to focus on fleets.
0: And um, I think it's really interesting at this point to move on to to the challenges that you face. And I know Ben, this is uh, something we've discussed before on the podcast. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this over to you to talk about the um, the challenges.
1: Yeah, definitely. So so you know, Series B you've hit, uh, you know, you mentioned there, you're, you're growing internationally as well. You know, we can talk about the, the people side of it and, and also sort of, I think a little bit about your founder relationship as well, but yeah, it was curious as to kind of what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced as a, as a first time CEO in scaling auto fleet and how have you overcome them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I was probably um, over naive um, when starting the company. I was, um, I thought I knew um, what it was about because when I, in one of my previous company, I was um, actually based in the U.S. in uh, Silicon Valley Sunnyvale and I was a VP product at a a startup also in the um, energy space looking to kind of reduce emissions and overall kind of energy consumption and I had um a I was um working very closely with our founder and CEO, um, you know having access to investors, uh, to board meetings, managing a team, hiring. Um, and so I thought i I knew what it was all about. I thought I, I, you know I got it. Um, I, I know everything that's needed to to run a business, but it's completely different when you're actually founding the company, and uh, it's really becoming there's no separating um, your yourself uh, from the company itself, and everything goes on if things are going well, then uh, everything seems great. And if things are not going well, then uh, it's it's directly impacting your state of mind uh, and your personal health even. Um, and so I think that was something that I, I completely didn't expect uh, overall. And there's definitely been a lot of learnings in this journey uh, in the last five and a half years. Um, one, I would say one of the things that, um, I would say like different stages of the company, there's different challenges, right? Sometimes they're more around um, raising funding, especially in the early days. Sometimes it's more about technology related challenges and scaling up the platform, et cetera. One thing that has been consistent, uh, consistently a challenge from uh, the day we started the company to date today, and even I would say even becoming a bigger and bigger challenge as we grow our companies is hiring and finding the best talent. It's really what keeps me up at night, getting the, the right people, building the right team, a team that uh, can execute. We're a B2B company. We serve the core business of our customers. We have to provide the the best uh, possible, not just the best product, but also the services around it. For example, we have a a support team that works 24-7 with a response time of less than a minute because if something goes wrong, uh, that means somebody in New York or somebody in Jakarta can't get a ride. Uh, and so we have to react to timidity. So we need the best people in every in every role in every function and that's um, that's been a challenge um uh, since the day we started and, and even today
1: and we're uh, we're lucky enough to have had a front row seat on on on, on your scaling and um, um you know when we talk to founders you know scaling but also keeping that culture uh, you know fundamental is, is something i know is important to you what what are some of the things that you've put or steps you put in place to make sure you're bringing in the right people who can, you know, be, be right for all socially.
2: So when we think about hiring, um, especially as a startup with uh, limited resources, both limited resources in terms of uh, people don't know us, right? But like, that's the default, right? There's no, there's no brand that people uh, know today. It's a bit different, but especially when we started. And so if you want to find good people, we have to find them. And uh, when we think about hiring, we think about uh, like three core attributes um the first is motivation the second is aptitude and the third is um, experience and because we have limited resources uh, as a startup you can't be rich and healthy we have to compromise on something and so we've made a mindful decision about uh, compromising on experience because out of those three that's the only thing that can be gained usually like if we think about motivation it's something that we we look to right find that internal flame right that people come into and like have that will this is a very intense environment, right? There's a lot of things going on and you have to have really a high level of motivation to do what, what's needed to be done. Um, and that's something that we, we, we interview for. And of course, aptitude. So, you know, we, we go through a set of interviews to try and, and find the people that are, have the best fit uh, from that perspective to the role that they're trying to fill. So those are the things that we don't compromise on and then experience is something that, we, uh, that people usually gain over time kind of on on job training
1: and it's it's interesting you mentioned about the branding piece you know obviously a lot of people join and they follow the leaders themselves you know i there's, there's quite an interesting dynamic between you and your your current founder and both from very different backgrounds how do you both come together to to complement each other to become kind of auto yeah
2: yeah that's a, that's a good question i think um also there's a very big age difference between us i mean uh, i'm 42 uh, he's 28 so we are very different um we do come from a similar background in the sense that uh, I started Mercurio off as a software developer. He himself was um, a kind of a senior technologist before founding AutoFleet. And so we speak the same language. We're both kind of product-led uh, or product-minded people. And so from that perspective, we have a very similar mindset, but very different experience and kind of experiences that we've, that we've had. Uh, and so I think that's, that was very complimentary i was um, especially in the early early days uh, kind of a lot of the um, the uh, product definition the use cases speaking with design partners et etc uh, that was more on, on my side uh, where you know all the technology decisions implementing and actually getting the first the first product to market i was more on the on door side uh, my, my co founder and so yeah i think it's it's when i look at other founding teams i think it's very important to have like these complementary um skill sets um and, that uh, even till today uh, play a very important role um in, in continuing to build up the company
1: and just double clicking on your your product background how do you as a leader sort of maybe have to um, you know, empower the people who are in your current product team versus I'm sure there's a piece of you that wants to sort of maybe go back into that that world and you know, kind of just grab that piece of the business. How do you navigate that?
2: Yeah, You wouldn't believe uh, how much that's true. Um, uh, that's also something you don't expect as a founder. The first things that you do is uh, you build the product, right? So you do the things that you are excited about, the things that uh, the one of the reasons that you even started the company. But then over time, you have to, as the company grows, you have to start spending time on many, many other things like paying the bills, finding an office, uh, managing people. People. The companies are not driven by AI totally today. That's a good thing that we still rely on people. And so you get to do a lot of things that you weren't necessarily trained on, or you decided kind of proactively to do. And sometimes I find myself looking uh, behind the shoulder of uh, some of the product our head of product, and kind of being a little bit envious that uh, I just want to do the job myself, <laughs> uh, but just you know don't have the time. So um, uh, definitely I appreciate every minute in like product discussions and being part of that, but uh, unfortunately I can't get to it. Uh, eh much of the time.
0: Going back to something that you touched on earlier about the stresses of being a CEO and and being a founder and having your own business. Um also making sure that you look after yourself um from a from a health perspective in line with that because it is a challenge. How do you um or what do you do to stay positive? How do you cultivate a positive mindset?
2: I think uh first of all, I don't think I've cracked that nut yet. It's thing it's a kind of an iterative process. I think um, in the first few years I was completely uh putting that aside and being very very focused on the business i don't think i think that i don't think that's the right thing to do i think if uh, uh when i speak to um, uh, kind of earlier stage founders etc i i talk to them about that and um and because you have to take care of of, of your body so that you can take care of you uh, later on and uh it definitely takes a toll uh and so uh, today i start uh, i try to find more time for that uh, first of all i'm a father to three children and um uh, i want to you know, spend quality time with them, especially in like uh, key milestones. And um, um, and I definitely try to find time for that as well, especially with kind of all the hectic travel. I tried to, I started doing, uh, going to the gym, uh, which was something new for me in the last year. So these things, I think overall, I think they overall kind of improve my performance doing the job itself uh, and they're important uh, by themselves
0: absolutely i think sometimes that you get more from those downtime moments than you realize as well there's a, there's a lot of um research done on people that work continuously and don't take breaks and naturally you you become less and less productive over time so sounds like you're doing the right things
1: do you, do you lean on your kind of network you know sort of from a from a you know a mentorship perspective and and you know collaboration idea sharing you know that there's a big sort of theme of this podcast but I would be curious in you if you, did you do that in your your day-to-day or Quarter to quarter sort of connections with your network? Yeah.
2: So I am, um, I was, um, I think the best advice, like the best um, mentorship that I get is actually from um, like um, fellow founders and and colleagues because they live exactly the same uh, challenges and pain points that you live through. Um, and so um, we, the way we actually started the company was in a, a immediately after we found, we started it, we um, got accepted into an accelerator. And so we had like other companies at similar stages and similar stage founders kind of just sitting side by side and we've as the companies grew uh we kind of kept the relationship going and so we have you know we have our own kind of whatsapp groups and uh we meet from time to time and like different events uh and i think that for us for me personally that has been a great source of advice and and mentorship that uh keep uh getting valuable information from
1: and sort of, you know, stepping sort of zooming out from auto fleet. I know Jen's got some questions that are kind of a little bit more macro from a, from a, an industry and tech startup perspective.
0: Well, I think I'd just like to touch on the, um, the, the wider industry and um, the businesses that are succeeding and the people behind those businesses having been part of these groups and, and seen businesses fail and succeed. Um, are there specific traits that you see within um within other entrepreneurs that you feel are really important for them to be successful?
2: I don't know if I have like a like a, a formula of what that is. Um I think maybe one thing that um one thing that I think is very clear um is extreme optimism. I think one one thing about they say <laughs> i heard somebody say the other day like that pessimists are actually realists because like the reality is very complicated there's you know all these like challenges but if you're like naive to them um, or in, like you, you're not you're not seeing those like very tactical challenges you're very being naive and you can plan for the long term and then you kind of hit them uh, later on but uh, you already started on the journey right and you um you have this uh, this optimism toward that future is. I I, I definitely see it, by the way, in my, my own personal life. My wife and I are very different. My wife is very pragmatic. She's very detail-oriented. I would come to her with like a, you know, let's let's buy this house or let's make this big move and let's relocate, let's do this and that. And she would like, you know, that would be very stressful for her because she would see immediately, she would see like everything and all the challenges that... Um, it would be associated with that and all the very fine details and i'm like completely out there and like even it's a, it's a, it's demotivating for me to hear it like uh wow, we're having this exciting conversation why are we uh talking about all these details and it's something that i actually noticed in uh in, in in other founders as well and that's kind of blind to these uh these short-term challenges or details and you just kind of see uh, the future and then we'll, we, we definitely hit those challenges you can't get around them but you you find a way uh once you've hit them uh, i think that's maybe one thing that. I see um, in some other cases as well.
0: I think I'm quite lucky. I have two founders in this business and two, two co-founders. And I think our, our risk aversion, risk scale is, is quite different. I think that's a positive. So I think I'm you <laughs> and they're, they're your wife. is <laughs> <laughs> a good thing, having the balance. It really is. And now to Ben's point earlier, kind of taking that step back now, the, the climate crisis is huge and uh, all of us that work in this space are trying to do our own bit. Um, but something I'm always interested to hear from the perspective of a founder in a in a startup that's scaling is what role do you think the startups play in tackling the cra- climate crisis um, in comparison to, to other players?
2: Well, I think, first of all, uh, think about technology. Like The one thing that's so exciting about technology is that it's not a zero-sum game, right? So... As new technologies introduced to market, we are just increasing the size of the pie overall. Right? Think about the immense impact that uh, like these new AI advancements are making, and will still make. We haven't seen even the beginning of that. Um, and then across, you know, any technology uh, breakthrough that there is, and startups are obviously a big part of that. Specifically for us, um, one of the things that we're seeing in the market is that uh, fleets are transitioning to. Um, electric vehicles even much faster than the private sector. And this is because they have kind of this intrinsic motivation to do so. Of course, from an environmental standpoint, from a regulation standpoint, many countries now have like very specific deadlines and when OEMs will need to stop selling combustion engine vehicles and fleets will need to be 100% electric and all those. But beyond that, there's also a financial benefit. Um, fleets are, if we spoke before about like the amount of how unutilized private ve- uh, privately owned vehicles are. Fleets are in much higher utilization, like a taxi fleet is forty fifty percent utilization versus three to five percent utilization of a privately owned vehicle and so if you to utilize the vehicle more um it the an eV makes much more sense because the energy cost uh, the electricity cost is lower than fuel, and um, you know, the maintenance cost is usually lower as well so the kind of the basic dynamic is that as you increase utilization uh, you have the opportunity to reduce total cost of ownership so they have this intrinsic motivation to adopt electric vehicles. But at the same time, going through this transition, especially for the larger fleets, is a huge operational complexity, right? Thinking about what types of vehicles should we buy? What battery size? How are we going to charge them? Where are we going to put the charging stations? What types of chargers? How is the downtime of charging going to impact the business and utilization? What's going to be the experience for the drivers? Like these are huge concerns which are slowing down. They're impeding the adoption of electric vehicles, even though they make a lot of sense for the business. And so the way that we tackle that, I mentioned before, the simulator, for example, one of our solutions, we're able to kind of in a risk environment, in a simulated environment, based on actual data from the fleet, make very specific recommendations and predict dozens of different KPIs for the fleet that otherwise would take a long time and money to test in real life. So I think overall, um, these are kind of trends that we are see every day uh, with like actual use cases of partners and fleets. Electrification is one of them, improving efficiency is another, uh, but uh, like sustainability overall and reducing emissions is something that we are uh, We work in quite a bit.
1: That must be quite cool because obviously, you know, there are a ton of, you know, tech and otherwise climate startups. And, I, I, you know, we do speak to some of you. Well, that that is a fantastic idea, but it feels feels very far away or, you know, in, in comparison where it must be so exciting for you to literally be at the cross section of, you know, extreme customer value add. You know, you're on the right mission and then also you're creating benefit to organizations that they don't have to be on board with the climate journey. You're providing immense value. You know to, to their fleets so that you know it seems like you're a, a a very exciting you know piece of the marketplace when we look at climate change
2: yeah i think there is um there is um definitely along with in order to make like significant changes in making you know reducing emissions and, and climate change and all that there has to be financial incentives there has to be you know business outcomes desirable business outcomes that kind of um, accelerate uh the adoption and and the transition to this more sustainable world and um I think we're headed in the right direction for sure, both in terms of government programs and incentives and also just intrinsically of the examples we gave of why EVs make a big difference in that respect.
1: Is there anything else that you see on the horizon when you look at sort of outside of Autofleet? Are there any other sort of subsections in the marketplace that are exciting you right now? AI.
2: yeah for sure i mean um like one of the things that i think has been probably overhyped uh, in the industry in the last five or years or so has been autonomous vehicles right um, there's a big promise in that both increasing safety it's also an opportunity to be more optimized and efficient because you can make decisions at a fleet-wide level and a, ter- a city-wide level versus every driver optimizing for them for himself or herself but it's been overhyped like people thought that it would um it would, be, it would already be in place, that we would be pervasive and we would all be traveling in, in autonomous vehicles. But these things are hard to predict, um, in, like these technology breakthroughs and when it would be good enough for us to use it on a daily basis. Like if you're based in Phoenix or in San Francisco, you're probably already exposed to um, uh, those kind of pilot programs by companies like Waymo and Cruise um, uh, and Tesla are making big advancements, of course. Uh, but for most people in the world, uh, that seems pretty far away. But I'm like we're at AutoFleet, and me specifically, we're very excited by it because it doesn't really matter if it's you know five years from now or fifteen years from now. That'll be like a, a very um, small uh, dot in history. Um, the it has a, such a big impact. Uh, once that happened, on the, like, the transportation industry is massive. It's one of these mega industries, trillion dollar industries like energy and food and agriculture and others. The most common uh, job today in the world is a driver. So it has a big impact on that. It's going to have a big impact on what we do with our time, the amount of time that people spend driving versus the amount of time that, that frees up. What do we do with that time? So it's going to have like a ripple effect on other industries. So there's probably a few years till, till we get there, but it's going to have, it's probably going to be one of the massive disruptions in our lifetime um that are going to happen and we're super excited by it
0: and i think just to to wrap up something that we'd like to ask all of the founders um that we have on the show is is advice for either entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs the people that are sitting out there listening to this and thinking i'd like to start my own company and maybe they're young and it's uh, a few years away if they're still studying or maybe they're working in a job where they're just not inspired what would be your advice to those people out there listening
2: if it's one piece of advice is no know, know what you're getting into. Right? No uh, be, exactly. Because like um uh, one thing like if we just take um the the successful path, like if we take the successful scenario, that's the challenging one, right? That's the one that we're gonna have to go through. Uh, the growth uh, challenges, and you're gonna need to hire great people, and you're gonna have, you're gonna look for for uh, for investment, and uh, you're gonna look for customers, and you're gonna see all those challenges, and usually they all come at once, and you're gonna have to make compromises in your personal life with your family and your friends, etc. And so there's trade-offs, um, and so just know what you're getting into. People, if found usually if like a founder is excited enough, you know, they, these things won't be obstacles. Like we said, like they'll just go for it. But at least be minded to it. Don't be as naive as I was.
0: And then, then lastly, lastly, um, what's, what's the future of auto fleet? if you could sum that up in a couple
2: of lines? Like I said, the vision that we started the company on was like the role of fleets. And that's something that we're exclusively focused on. That hasn't changed, um, despite many things that have changed. That hasn't changed since we founded the company. And we don't see that changing, right? And so like, it's really just from a first principle perspective, we believe in the role of fleets. We believe why they're so important and going to play an increasingly uh, important role and that's our vision like just being the number one provider enabler uh, to these fleets to make uh, a more sustainable uh, transportation future a more optimized transportation future etc and what we're iterating on throughout the journey is the set of capabilities the, the different new verticals that we keep we, we keep running into and solving for uh, electrification that we're focused on the autonomous where we're going to be much more involved or uh, in the future um, so we're very excited about the, the future um, and um, that's kind of our, our vision going into it.
0: We look forward to continuing to support you on the mission and um, thank you for your, for your time and insights today. And Ben, thank you for co hosting with me. My pleasure. Thank you, Kobe.
2: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: And um, yeah, excited to see what the future holds.
2: Definitely. Thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed it.